Last week we began a series called Unlikely Heroes, and in this we talked about an unlikely hero being somebody that might be overlooked, somebody that after the fact you, in your own reflection might think, yeah, that person had an impact in our life or in my life. Now, at Mission View, I don't want us to overlook the unlikely heroes. I don't want us to wait till after the fact for us to recognize some of the people that have really paved the way for our heritage in terms of faith and have demonstrated that. And so what I've done is I've invited a group from Bill and Phyllis Johnson's uh, community group to come up and just share a little bit about their walk with God. So I'm going to have them come up in a minute. But let me tell you why I was thinking about their group. I was studying about Enoch, and that's, what we're, that's who we're going to cover today. And many of you are like, well, who in the world's Enoch? I don't know anything about this guy. Well, this guy, what I do know is he's, he was 365 years of age before the Lord took him home. And I was thinking, who in our congregation is close to 365 years of age? And then I thought of Judy Saner. Judy Saner, she is getting way, way up there. So, and her whole community, is that true, Judy? Yes, it is. Judy, and actually in all seriousness, their community group, and it's my mom and dad, and it's Virginia and Peggy Aston. So I'm going to have you come up, and I'm going to have them share a little bit about their walk with God. Now, as you guys come on, make your way up. I have a little traveling music, a little uptown funk for you guys as you guys come on up. Yes, hit your hallelujah. Yes, hit your hallelujah. Because uptown funk going to give it to you. Peggy just announced to me that together their collective age is 365 years of age. So thank you, Peggy. I appreciate that. So very good. Uh, in all seriousness, we, we value the fact, we know that the, there's a lot of young people in this church, but we're told in the book of Titus that the, the younger are to learn from the older. And in all seriousness, we we set you guys up as the example that we want to follow. And so I've asked, I've asked them two questions in advance, so I'm going to have them share the answers to the first one. And I'm going to have you pass the mic, make sure it's close to your mouth. And I simply want you to tell, how long have you been walking with God? Is this just a quick answer? This is a quick answer. 2007, I would say. You were saved, okay. Okay, very good. Uh, I'm almost 53 years. I'd like to say I was two when I was saved, but we all know it's not true. <laughs> well, it was on May, <clears throat> excuse me, May 21st, 1952, at the Akron Baptist Temple. And I always went to church, but I never became uh, saved until uh, before, just before we were married. And that was about 61 years ago. Surprise. 
I became saved when I was in the Army, and that is 63 years ago. Oh, very good. That's why you're up here, because each of you have walked with God for quite some time. But in this journey of faith, as you have walked with God, I'd like for you to share maybe one thing that God has taught you along the way in terms of your walk with God. Peggy, we'll start with you. Thank you. Well, it just seems like everything I go through anymore is like over my head. And you may have heard the cliche, but it's over my head, which means it's under Jesus' feet. And that, I get all choked up thinking about it, but that's really the only thing that brings me out. Oh, I, there's a lot, but uh, what really comes to my mind, I, in uh, 2012, my husband got real sick. And through the 25 days that he was sick until he died, um, Hebrews 13:5, where God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And uh, he died three years ago today. But what he did for us in those 25 days, I need a half hour, please. <laughs> So should I continue or <laughs> Well, we don't have quite a half hour, but there's the comments time. I want you to talk to Judy about these, these lessons. Well, the one couple of things I've learned is that trust and faith go together. And I know uh, over time there's been good times and rough times, but in every situation, God has given peace joy and hope and he is the solid rock on which i stand uh, with raising five children i think the hymn that we used to sing trust and obey is probably one of the things that stabilized my life that's because four of her children were hellions but one was an angel <laughs> <laughs> I think that the best thing I can say about this is faith. Uh, there has never been a time when God has left me. I have left him, but uh, he has never left me. And he has shown me throughout a lot of tough times. Thank you. Dad, I'm going to go ahead at this time. We're thankful for these again. What do you think of these examples being in our ministry? Thank you guys uh, for your faithfulness. Uh, when other people are not coming because it's snowy out, guess what? These guys are here. Uh, they're always serving. If you look around, you will see them greeting. You will see them helping set up, set, do communion, or do other things in the church, help out in the children's ministry. I'm so, I could go on and on of the example that this, uh, this group of people have set for me. And so I'm thankful for that. Dad, why don't you go ahead and pray for our offering. Pray for our missionaries and pray for our offering as well. Oh, praise, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise creatures here all below. Praise us, O oh Lord. We give you praise and thanks for the offering that, you are, that we are about to receive. Now bless those who give. Bless those who receive it. And may it be spent in your honor. Now and we ask that you be with the Whitmans and uh, they are 
having uh, meals and things like this, much similar that we do. Draw them closer to you, O Lord. Draw all the people that they touch to you. And then we have churches throughout the Akron area. We pray for the chapel, and we ask that you draw people into them. Now then, be with Steve, Pastor Steve, be with him as he brings the message today. Amen. Thank you, guys. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're only going to be looking at two verses. How simple is that? Two verses for us to get through today, verse 5 and 6. The theme today is what, does, what faith does, what faith does in our life. Now, faith is going to walk with God. That's where we're going to start. And you can see by the music that we have picked that we're talking about our relationship with God, that there is an intimacy with God, that, we, that God would have all of our hearts, that we would slow down. We reflected on the, uh, the body that was broken for us in Christ and his blood that was shed for us. And so we're going to talk about what that faith does in our everyday life. Now, in these two verses, what we're going to find is we're going to find an example that we get to hold on to and, and, and learn from, and that is an Enoch. But then we're going to see practical ways in which we are to walk with God on a daily basis. I want us to think today, what is it that we're trying to do? Are we living this life here on earth on the basis of faith? Here's my question to start off with. Have you determined in your mind what you're going to be living for and what faith is going to look like for you in your each and every day life? That's a question that each of us need to evaluate. We don't just wake up and, and say, it's just going to happen. I think that there's choices that we make. A lot of us determine in our hearts and our minds, well, what kind of person what we, we want to be. I want to be a great dad. I want to be a godly dad. I want to be a great uh, boss. I want to be a great employee. I want to accomplish, and you fill in the blank. What kind of person you are is determined on what is at the core of you as an individual. The martyred missionary Jim Elliott is famous for having lived out his life and to determine in advance that he was going to live it out in faith in God. In fact, that's reflected in one of his most famous quotes that you often hear. And this is what Jim Elliott said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. See, Jim Elliott had determined in his heart that he was going to live early on in his life for the Lord. He had a deep sense of purpose, a deep sense of faith that reflected in everything he did. Elizabeth Elliott tells the story that when she first met the, the man that would soon become her husband, she first met him at college, and it was about the time that they were giving out yearbooks. And for, at that time, a lot of the young ladies were kind of awestruck with some of the men, and they would hope that they could give their yearbook to one of the men, that, especially that they liked, and that they would sign something special by their, their photo, and that they would be able to kind of discern whether or not there was an interest in that individual to them. 
And so Elizabeth went up to Jim and she gave her me her yearbook and he simply wrote beside the picture 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. Now they didn't have Bible apps way back then. They didn't she didn't have her Bible with her, so she ran back to her dorm room and she wanted to decode the message. Maybe there was something special in that verse just for her. Maybe he had an interest in her. And so this is what she read when she got to her room and opened up her Bible. It says in 2 Timothy 2.4, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Now you can imagine her heart probably sank at that moment, but then she read on in the verse that says, he wants to please his commanding officer. Young Elizabeth learned more about the man that God would eventually lead her to marry by that one verse. She knew that he was a man that was driven by faith in his life. He had a sense of purpose in his life because of that. So my question is, are we living on purpose for God? Are we living by faith in everyday life? This is what our passage is going to lay out for us. Friends, this church, this is a critical passage for each one of us because our mission statement at Mission View is that we want to make disciples that have an intimacy with God. We talk about community and influence, but before we get there, it starts with intimacy. And today is all about our intimacy with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open your word I pray that your word would be powerful in our hearts. We know that your Holy Spirit is at work in our life. We know that if, especially if we are a believer in Christ, you live within us. Your spirit lives within us and you convict us, you, you encourage us, you help us, you mold us into the person that you want us to be. And so, Lord, as we talk about a walk with you, as we talk about what faith looks like in everyday life, what it does, help us to evaluate for ourselves what it is that we need to be about and help us to be a people that live with faith, that live on purpose for you. And I pray that you would guide us. And Lord, if there are those that haven't come into that knowledge of Christ yet, I pray that your Holy Spirit would also influence that you would convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment and help them to see exactly what you want to do in their life. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. This is the first verse that we're looking at. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now in the Bible, there is very little that is said about Enoch. We actually have this passage in Hebrews. We have a passage in the book of Jude, and we have a passage in Genesis. Now what I want us to do is I want us to find out all the information we can about Enoch exhaustively. So on the screen, there will be a passage in Jude that will reveal a little bit about, uh, about Enoch. It says this, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, 
saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against. Do you sense the theme with Jude? He's saying ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. See, what he does is he is citing in the book of Jude uh, as he's addressing a society that was wicked, he's saying, hey, there was somebody else that understood a wicked society, and that was Enoch. Enoch, seventh from Adam. He was in a wicked society. He's, and we'll see that in Genesis chapter 5. This is a time in which God is about to destroy the world with the flood. And so the society around were ungodly. But what we learn about Enoch here, we're not going to go exhaustively into this passage, but what we learn is that he lived in an evil society, and as a result of his faith, he prophesied and was willing to love people by telling them the truth. You know, that's not always well received when we tell the truth to people, especially when they are living in an ungodly way, in a way that God is not honored with. But there's, this is the first thing that we learn about Enoch's walk with God is that God had so penetrated his heart that he wanted to live for God and to proclaim his truth to those that were around him. We learn from that in terms of our walk. If God is influencing us deep within, then it will naturally be an outflow of our life that we would influence others. Notice our mission statement, intimacy, community, influence. If we don't have intimacy, we'll never have influence. Enoch had an intimacy with God. Now let's take a look at the Genesis 5 passage. You can either turn there or look on the screen. Genesis 5 says this. Genesis 5 verse 21 says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Now that would be a great name for a new child coming into the world. I challenge any new parent to name their child Methuselah. That would be awesome. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Now that's it. That's all the information we have on Enoch. Now some of you say, Pastor, this should be a short sermon. Well, just hold on. There's more here than you might actually see. If you were to read the context of Genesis 5 in this genealogy, you would find that Enoch is in the midst of a bunch of genealogies. There was a bunch of so-and-so was 65 years of age and he had his first child and then he lived another 300 or 800 years and had more children and then died. In fact, there's 10 generations that are given in this lineage. Now, the reason why 
why Moses wrote this is to show that there was a clear link from Adam and Eve all the way to Noah and his sons. And so we see the 10 generations that are there in the lineage that is there. Now what we learn from this lineage on the negative is that everything that God said would happen to Adam and Eve actually was happening. Remember what God said? If you eat of the forbidden fruit, what would happen? You will surely die. And that's exactly what we learn. We learn that everybody's a sinner. We learn that the wages of sin is death. And we learn that everybody dies except Enoch. There's something different. Enoch is all of a sudden this blip of life on the lineage EKG. You know, he is all of a sudden just this little blip of life there. And there's more said about him than anybody else in this lineage in the genealogies. Now, the reason why he stands out is for one reason. Enoch had faith. Enoch had faith. And God always honors a person of faith. Now, he had faith that caused him to walk with God for 365 years. Now, the phrase walk with God is mentioned in Genesis twice. Now, then it says in the passage that he was then taken away. Now, our passage in Hebrews verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 5, clarifies what it means that he was taken away. It says in Hebrews 11, he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, I want you to think about the miracle that took place. One day, Enoch wakes up. He kisses Miss Enoch on the lips and says, Good morning, honey. And he grabs a sip of coffee. He eats a little cantaloupe and a croissant. And then he goes out to go for his daily walk with God, his appointed appointment with God, and his daily routine of just walking with God and talking with God. Now, on this day, little did he realize when he meets God, God says, Enoch, I got something to show you today. You're not going to believe it. And he doesn't come back because God ended up taking him home. Now, what's interesting is that in Genesis, it says he walked with God. And in Hebrews 11, it says he was commended for his faith that was pleasing to God. So what the connection is, his walk with God is really what pleased God. Now this gives us a clue as to what God is looking for in your life and in my life. What he wants is us to walk with him. Now the word walk is more of a metaphor. God didn't use the word skip. He didn't use the word run. He used the word walk. Walk is step by step, day by day. Moment by moment, every single day, we wake up, we walk with God consistently, daily, routinely. We have a relationship with the living God. We're not going to the left. We're not going to the right. We're staying focused on God. My friends, I want you to realize that that's God's intention all along. Do you remember the story of Adam and Eve just a few chapters before Genesis 5? Remember what Adam and Eve used to do with God in the cool of the garden? What did they do? They walked with God. God intended for there to be a sense of fellowship and intimacy with him. 
Now, even after the fall, we see Cain and Abel. And we see Cain doesn't walk with God, but we see Abel desires to have an intimacy with God. And the passage says that his offering, what? Pleased God. It pleased God because there was a walk that he had. He wanted to honor God, and there was a relationship with him. What we learn here is that God desires a walk with him, and this is what pleases him. Friends, do you realize that this is telling us what the bullseye is all about? This is telling us what our aim should be in life. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, this is what I want. This is your challenge as a believer. Find out. Find out what pleases God. Each and every one of you is a believer. For me, Find out what pleases God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, make it your goal. Make it your goal to please God. Whether you're home in this body or whether he takes you away, make it your goal. What you want to do is please God. And here we have a very concrete, very pointed statement of what pleases God. What pleases God is a daily walk with God. Now, see, that's really important for us because I think sometimes as believers, we have this by our bedstand or we have a desire to be with God, but then we get so caught up in the busyness of life. I know how it is. And then all of a sudden, we're a day away from God or a couple days away from God. We haven't thought about God. We haven't prayed to God. We haven't walked with God. And we haven't consulted with God. And before we know it, we are steps away from God, and we're in a place where we are empty. And we realize then why this is so vitally important to our living God. He knows our framework. He knows how prone we are to getting off track. And this is why in love, he encourages us by this example, walk with God. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, Steve, great. I want that. I want to have an intimacy with God. I want to walk with God. But what does it look like? Well, fortunately, the author of Hebrews went a little bit deeper for us. After giving us that example, he went into verse 6. Take a look at what he says. Now, if this isn't a verse you've memorized, I would encourage you, underline it, memorize it. This is an awesome verse. Let me read it. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, we see several things in our walk with God. The first step that we see is that we have to have faith. Faith pleases God. We have to have faith. Faith pleases God. Now, notice in this verse, he uses two emphatic words. He uses the word impossible and must. He says it is impossible to please God without faith. And he says we must believe that God is. So why is God so emphatic on faith? Why must we believe in God? Well, let's put it this way. In, on a human level... Do you want people to believe in you? Do you want your coworkers to believe in you? 
If your coworkers came to you and said, you know what, I don't particularly care for you. I don't care, I really don't trust you. I really don't want anything to do with you or I'm just gonna ignore you. We would say that that is opposite of pleasing to us, wouldn't we? But if that coworker says, listen, you're my teammate. I'm dependent upon you. I'm coming to you. We need to work together. There's a sense that there is a trust there that you are somebody that they can lean on. And when we please God, when we, when we please him, it means that we are trusting him in every aspect of our life. And I see us doing that in several ways or not doing it. We don't believe God when we start doing life on our own. When we start to walk every single day and not talk with God and not meet with God. We are in a sense communicating to God that, you know what, I don't need your guidance. I don't need your input in my life. And God says, no, 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 no. It starts with faith. You have to believe in me, trust in me. And when we do believe in him and trust in him, it's going to be reflected in how we go to him. We seek him. We want to please him. We want to hear from him. And we want his wisdom in every day of our life. So do we have faith in God? Now, the next phrase in, uh, in Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, And without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God. See, the second step in our journey and our walk with God is that not only do we have to have faith in him, but we will see that faith is going to draw near to God. See, this is what the author's doing. He's giving us the direction that we are to go in life. The right direction is to go into a deeper relationship with God, not further away. He wants us to draw near to him. And the draw near to him is a directive. It is a command. He's saying, draw near to God. We are to strive for this. And this is what we need to evaluate as a church. Church, are we drawing near to God? Over and over again, we see this directive in the scripture. Even in the book of Hebrews, it says, Hebrews 10, 22, it says, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts. Also in Hebrews, it says, Hebrews 4, 16, draw near to the throne of grace. James 4, 8, which we read earlier, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So why is this so important? Because my friends, it's only in God that we find our true satisfaction. It's only in God. Donald Barnhouse, who is an old theologian, said this. He said, God's, methods, God's method of supplying our needs is to give us fresh knowledge of him. For every need can be met by seeing him. See, you might think that success is going to bring you satisfaction. You might think that a deeper relationship is really what it's going to do to take to fill you with joy. You might be thinking that a better marriage, that's where it's at. That's where I'm going to feel a lot more complete. 
You may be thinking, if God just gives me a family, then I will feel complete. You might be thinking, if I just had the, the right feeling at the right church and that, that it just hit me the right way, that then it will complete me as an individual. And I want you to know in every single one of these things, they're not meant to fill you. Church isn't meant to fill you. Your wife isn't meant to fill you. Your husband isn't meant to fill you. Your job isn't meant to fill you. Nothing will complete you in this life except God. And sometimes it's as if we're going, we have this fresh spring of water that's right there for us to drink from. And we go to every polluted cistern, every polluted stream, and we're drinking out of it. And we're thinking, man, why isn't this filling me up? Why isn't this completing me? Because you're looking in the wrong place. It'll never be found in these places. Marriage is excellent. Church is awesome. It's a place to worship. Relationships are great. But if God is not central in your life, you'll be chasing after something. And it's right before your eyes. Do you really draw near to God? I'm not just talking church talk. Do we really draw near to the living God? This is a question that all of us have to answer because this is what living by faith is all about is that we draw near to God with all of our hearts. No matter what our circumstances, we draw near. And then the author goes a little bit deeper in what this walk looks like. He says, and without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Now, in this instruction here, he says we got to believe that God exists. Well, isn't that like a no-brainer? Like, of course we have to believe that he exists. Why, why would we doubt that? Oh, but we do. See, you got to understand the context of Hebrews. The writer is writing to a people that were under the imminent threat of persecution. Now, let me ask you the question. When things don't go right in your life, when you've had a string of series of events that have happened that are just unfortunate, that are horrible because we live in a sin-filled world, what starts happening to your faith? You know what happens with the enemy? He comes to you. And he whispers in your ear. And he says things, Really? You're going to believe in him? Why are you believing God? He created, oh yeah, okay, he created the world and then he left it alone. He wants nothing to do with you. You're an idiot for believing in God. Who do you think you are believing in God? And constantly we get that message from the enemy. This has been his tactics forever. Think about Christ. He's about to start his earthly ministry. He goes out into the wilderness. He had been fasting for 40 days. And what happens? The enemy wants him to doubt the Father. Now here's what's beautiful about Jesus. He's perfect. We're not. We mess up sometimes. How did Jesus answer it? It's written. It's written. It's written. 
Remember what faith is? Faith says if God said it, it's true. It's believing in the promises of God. Christ believed in the promises of God. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. This is how Christ believed. See, what the author of Hebrews is instructing us to do is to believe in God as God's word reveals him. We are not to believe in God as we conceive him to be, but as God reveals him to be. There's a big difference between the two things. See, a lot of people want to form God into what they want him to believe, and they conclude that the chief end of God is the happiness of man. And when this is their mindset, their conclusion is logical. Living with someone outside the bonds of marriage, that's logical because God wants me to be a happy person. If I want to do a little bit of weed to take off the stress, it's logical because it's about me. If I want to choose whatever sexual orientation, that's okay because it's about my happiness, whatever I want. But when we believe that God, when we believe God as God's word prescribes, we realize that the chief end of God is to glorify himself, not man. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. And when we hold to his source of authority, what happens in our life is we start to discover that God wants us to be holy. And when we are holy, it leads to true happiness. And when we are truly holy, we become like Christ. And Christ loved people unconditionally. He showed compassion. He showed mercy. We start becoming little Christ in how we live. Not because that's how we would naturally go, because we wouldn't naturally go but that's how we supernaturally go because we have a different source of authority in our life see faith it believes that God exists and that he is the authority in our life now here's the final thing that a walk with God does it rewards take a look at what it says And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God rewards you if you seek him. But we have to define what that reward is all about. I think sometimes in our mind, we have a Leonard Nimoy uh, philosophy of what, what reward is all about. Live long and prosperous. That's what, I, that's what it is. If I live long in this life, if I'm prosperous in this life, then I am rewarded by God. But my friends, that is so far from the reward of God. It's not about long life. It's not about prosperity. Actually, take a look at Enoch, for example. We look at Enoch, and our first impression is, man, that guy lived to be an old guy. He was 365 years of age. But look at it in the context of the genealogies. Everybody else lived to be 930 years of age, 912 years of age, 905 years of age, 910 years of age, 895 years of age, 969 years of age. You get the point proportionately, he died as if he was in his 30s. Someone that's a believer in Christ, if they died in their 30s, we would look at that and we would say, oh, they died prematurely, as if God had made a mistake. 
No, 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 no. Enoch didn't die prematurely. He didn't go home with God prematurely. Someone doesn't die prematurely. They get their reward then. Their reward is God. Their reward is to be with him for eternity. God is the ultimate reward. Church, I want to make sure that everyone here has the reward of Christ. See, it starts with this. There's three things I see in terms of if, you, if, the, if he is your reward, it starts with this. You must trust Christ for your salvation. We can't think as the world thinks and determine what's right and wrong in our own eyes. We have to trust the authority of God's word. And what God's word says is that we sin and that we are so far from God, that God lost us to sin, but in his great love, for us, he sent his son who said to mankind, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. The great reward comes through Christ. And then he showed his love by dying on a cross, being buried and resurrecting, showing that we could resurrect with him. And Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved emphatically, not possibly be saved, but that's where we start our reward. And many people, most people in this room, you started that journey some time ago, but it doesn't stop there. Here's the second part of the reward. You must walk with Christ until your salvation is complete. This is step by step, day by day, walking with God, just knowing that we are to be faithful until he takes us home. We're told in Philippians 2.12, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what God is telling us is he's not telling us to earn our salvation, but rather to guard our salvation on a daily basis. In other words, the enemy is always going to try to pull us away. He's always going to try to drag us away from God any way he can. Do you want to live your life with purpose? Then walk with God. Do you want to finish out the life that you have, the years that you have in victory? Then walk with God. Do you want to have direction in this life? Then walk with God. Don't let anything cause you to give up, to back up, to let up, or to shut up. Instead, make sure that you pray up, that you preach up, that you store up, and stay up the cause of Christ. That's what we do. When we gather here on Sunday morning, it's meant to be an encouragement. It's meant to be, come on, guys, let's continue on this journey together. We're in this together. We need each other. That's what church is all about. We continue in our walk with God. But here's the third thing you must realize. You must realize that your true reward is in eternity. Now, I look at my life, and I think, man, I am a blessed man. I have an incredible wife. I have an incredible family that God has blessed me with. I have an incredible church, and I know that you pray for me as I pray for you. I know that you love me as I love you, as your pastor. And I, I'm so thankful for that. And I look at all these blessings, and we can look at all the blessings that God is giving us in our life, and we can say, yeah, I am blessed. 
But know this for sure. Nothing, nothing, nothing compares to the blessings that you will have in all of eternity. In some ways, we want to be like Enoch. Enoch just walked out the door and he was taken to God. There's a thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 called the rapture of the church. It's the day that we meet Jesus in the air. I don't know about you, but I'm, I kind of would like that. I'd kind of like to skip the whole death part, and I would love to fly through the air, meet Christ in the air, and for me to be with him in all eternity. But whether it's through that means or through death, my reward is on the other side. Even though eternal life began when I gave my life to Christ, I will fully realize what it's all about. So what do we learn from this passage? Here's five application questions to think about. Number one, am I walking with God? Just plain and simple, am I walking with God? Only you can answer that question. Number two, are we pleasing God by trusting him? Am I really pleasing God by trusting him on a daily basis? Number three, are we deliberately drawing near to God? Do we have a discipline of drawing near to God? Number four, what do you believe about God? Is he your authority? It will reflect in your life. And number five, are we satisfied with God being our reward? A few years ago, a close friend of Leah and I, and some of you in here knew her as well. Her name was Sue. She died of cancer. She was a solid, solid believer who died, I believe, at the age of 46 or 47. And what was interesting, in going to her funeral, we didn't focus on the casket, but we focused on a pre-recorded video of Sue knowing that she was going to die. And if you knew Sue, you would know that she wanted everything done just right. And so she had pre-recorded the message of the cross that would be played at her funeral. And what was so beautiful is that instead of pointing grieving people to herself, she pointed the grieving people to the very one that she was currently spending eternity with, Jesus Christ. She wanted people to know that God was her reward and that God could be their reward as well. And what a beautiful thing it was to be a part of that home going. Today, we are going to sing the song, Give Me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Is he your reward? And what I've done is I've asked the elders to go to the different aisles. Um, we're going to have an elder in each aisle. Todd will be over here. I'll be in this aisle. Uh, I think Josh is in this aisle and Randy over in that aisle. And we want to just allow this to be the house of prayer. Now, you can stay in your seat and you can pray and just rededicate your heart to drawing close to God. But there may be somebody here that you would say, man, there's just something pressing on my heart. I would really love someone to pray with me. That's what we're here for. That's what we do. We minister to each other. And so during this song, don't be afraid of whether people think that you have needs. You all have needs. I have needs. We all have it. Let's just be open and vulnerable and be willing to go to somebody and just pray with that person, with somebody near you or one of the elders. We want to be available to you. So let's sing and let's pray.